Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get a chance to sit down and have a conversation with Pastor Zellner and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Hello, welcome back to Conversations. Uh, it, Will Leitner is here sitting with our Pastor Eric Zanel. How are you doing today, Pastor Eric? I'm great. Good to see you, Will. Thank you. So we thought we had already recorded this podcast, um, but I guess not. We can't find the audio for it. So you guys are getting the fresh out of the oven take on the Lord's Supper here. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the other sacrament of our church, which is the Lord's Supper. We're walking through the Inquirer's class which is a chance for us to get a basic overview of what our church teaches. And so this is going to be a two-part um, episode. The first part is going to be going through some biblical terms and truths and views on the Lord's Supper, and the next one will be about some contemporary issues. And if you guys are looking for a more in-depth discussion about the Lord's Supper, Pastor Zellner just preached on this in our, on our series in 1 Corinthians 11 called You Proclaim the Lord's Death. And you can find this on our other podcast, Christ Presbyterian Auburn Sermons, or at ChristPresAuburn.org, our website. Um, so I'm so glad you're here. Pastor Zoner. please help us through this sacrament. Oh, sure. Thank you so much, Will. What I think the, the thing to begin with on, on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is, just like every other Christian doctrine, we want to begin by figuring out what does the Bible say. And so there's some biblical terms that are used to help describe what we're talking about in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. The, the first is this this term that's used in the book of Acts, and that term is the breaking of bread. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, uh, the Bible says that, and this is coming right after Pentecost, all these people have been converted to faith in Christ. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And, and we recognize that, that they're not having a, an after-church Sunday lunch as if that's the breaking of bread. These are very specific, deliberate details. The apostles' teaching involves the, the lessons the apostles took from Christ himself. They're passing along these lessons in order to establish a foundation for the church. Fellowship is, is unique and, and uh, different from fellowship outside the body of believers. It's a, it is something which is rooted in our foundation in Christ, the, the fact that we are united together as one body. That fellowship is unique and different. Likewise, the breaking of bread, it's not a, it can't be a church potluck uh, because it's using this term, the breaking of bread, which uh, harkens back to precisely what Jesus did on the night when he was betrayed. He took bread and he broke it. Um, and then also the prayers. So we, we see that term in Acts 2, but we also see it again later on in Acts chapter 20. And I think it's really important for our people to recognize that immediately the apostles begin joining together the sacraments, whether, you know, baptism and the Lord's Supper, with the preaching of the Word. And so the sacrament of the Lord's Supper goes with the preaching of the Word. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul is preaching late into the evening, and this fellow named Eutychus falls out of a, a window because Paul's been preaching so long. It's late into the night, and he's tired. But it says uh, in 20, Acts 20, verse 7, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. 
intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Now, the essential part here, there's, there's multiple pieces of that single verse that are useful. The first thing is that the, the, the people of God are gathered on Sunday, the first day of the week, whereas prior to the resurrection, faithful followers of Yahweh would have gathered on Saturday for their worship. Sunday becomes the new Sabbath. Um, and then also they're gathered doing, doing two things, breaking bread and listening to the preaching of the Apostle Paul. So it's the word and the sacrament going together. But that term, breaking of bread, again, is used there. It's got to be an encouragement to know that even the Apostle Paul had people fall asleep while he was <laughs> preaching. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't want to brag, but at this point I've had nobody ever die from falling asleep <laughs> uh, under my preaching, so it could get worse, I guess. Um, the, other, the other term that kind of stands out is um, the Lord's table. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10... The Apostle Paul is correcting some of the some of the Christians in Corinth who have been participating still in pagan practices of eating and drinking uh, at these pagan temples. And the Apostle Paul corrects them, and he says, "You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons." And so that that phrase, the Lord's table, is one that begins to be used uh, throughout the church, and and that. That means that when we come to take of the Lord's Supper, it's really not a, a Presbyterian table if you're in a Presbyterian church or a Baptist table if you're in a Baptist church. It is uh, the table that the Lord Jesus himself has set for his people. Now, part of what what is so meaningful about that is it means Christ is actually our host. So we're coming to a meal that he has set for us. It's his table. And his position of being the host means that he is desirous of relationship. It also means that he's desirous of, of showing forth his goodness to his people, right? If you, if you invite someone over to your house uh, for dinner, uh, except on rare occasions where you might say, hey, I've got nothing else in the refrigerator, so we're going to have turkey sandwiches, you're going to prepare something that helps to invite that person into relationship. And that's really what the Lord's Supper is. Uh, so the, the third term, we've talked about uh, the breaking of bread, the Lord's table. The third term is the Lord's Supper. And that term is found in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20. And again, that's the section that I preached on uh, about the Lord's Supper. And Paul, again, correcting them uh, for for what they're doing, you know, some of them are, are gathering together in one room of a big house, the the wealthy in one room, and they're feasting and they're gorging, and they're then uh, there's people sitting outside on the portico or the patio, and they don't have anything to eat. They don't even have bread to break and wine to drink, and and Paul critiques them and says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. So you recognize when you see Paul use that kind of language that that's a term that they're familiar with the Lord's Supper. The fourth biblical term that's used is, um, is communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. If you were to look at this in the New King James Version, it says, the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? When you take a look at that same passage in the English Standard Version, it, it uses the term participation. But in both... Uh, terms, it's, it's an identical concept. 
the idea that we commune or we participate with the Lord. Um, it is a communion in the blood of Christ. We're actually partaking of the blood of Christ. It's a communion in the body of Christ. We're partaking of the body of Christ. Now, that can't be taken beyond what Jesus meant, right? He, he's actually saying, uh, you who have died, I mean, excuse me, you who have sinned, are taking part of my, of, you're taking a part or you're communing with me over that substantive issue of my death. I actually died so that you would be redeemed. And so when you, when we partake the Lord's Supper, it's not just that we acknowledge, yeah, I think historically it's a fact that Jesus died on a Roman cross, but we are actually, when we partake of that, we are communing with the Lord Jesus by faith. We're actually saying that blood, that blood that was spilled, that body that was torn really is for me. Uh, and I'm grabbing hold of it by faith. It's amazing. The fifth, yeah, the, the, the fifth is this, uh, this word Eucharist. And the word Eucharist is more commonly used in um, Episcopal churches, uh, Roman Catholic churches. Sometimes you'll, you'll see it in other churches like uh, Lutherans, for example. But that, that word Eucharist comes from the, the phrase that's used in Matthew 26, Mark's account of the Lord's Supper, Luke's account of the Lord's Supper, and even, even the account that, that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 11. And that is that Jesus took bread... He gave thanks, Eucharisteo in Greek. He gave thanks, and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. So the word Eucharist comes from the, the, the verb to give thanks. Uh, Jesus gave thanks. And so those are, those are the five biblical terms that are, that are used. Now, I, I say all of this because... When we want to understand what's going on in the Lord's Supper, we want to make sure we, we understand those biblical terms and recognize that all of them must be a part of what's really true about the Lord's Supper. They've all got to be uh, a fact, and we can't sit on one more than another, uh, if that makes sense. Absolutely. One thing that comes to mind, too, is just the fact that you know the Christian faith is not an individualistic faith. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... What's happening here is the Lord's Supper is happening in the fellowship of believers in the context of the church. So if you have a, a great Bible study or a great parachurch organization, we're super thankful for that. That's mm -hmm. amazing. But the sacraments that are a chance for us to hold in our hands the physical picture of the gospel, yes. that's done in the context of the local church with yeah. preaching and prayer and the fellowship of the saints. That, yeah, that's and I think that's super important. You never see the Lord's Supper taken outside the context of the local church. Uh, you don't see two people on a hillside partaking of the Lord's Supper. You just can't find evidence of that. But but our, our modern culture, you know, you go to camp and they want to they offer you a baptism in the river over here, and they want to offer you the Lord's Supper <laughs> and grape knee-high and some crackers, and we're going to call that the Lord's Supper. Right. But those are always divorced from the church, and these are ordinances of the church that are being administered by people who actually... Uh, are trained in both word preaching of the word and sacraments, uh, so that when we give these things, that person can accurately explain what's going on right. for God's people. And so we now know some of the terms. So uh, I'd love to hear from you, maybe some of what these terms actually mean, or the the truths that come along with these. Yeah, terms. and I think th yeah, that's a great point. the 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 issue of the truths and what they mean are are deeply rooted in those terms. Um, so, for, for instance, 
one truth about the Lord's Supper is that it really is a memorial. Um, Jesus says, this do in remembrance of me. Now, um, I think I shared in the sermon I preached on chapter 11 that it, there was a common practice in the ancient world for a, 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 particularly a wealthy person to leave funding with their family to carry on a perpetual feast that would go every year on that person's death. And that would be what they would call a memorial feast for dear old dad or dear old granddad or whatever it was. Uh, Jesus isn't, isn't instituting a memorial feast primarily. He's saying you're going to do this quite often in the church, and every time you do, it is to say that it is a memorial is to remind us that the, the cross itself, the spilled blood of Christ, the, the torn body of Christ, is really the, the beginning of our salvation. And we must cling to that as the essence of our salvation. Without the resurrection, we just have a dead Savior. But, but if he's not torn and sacrificed for our sins, we have nothing to pay for our sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a memorial. Secondly, uh, if we understand 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's also a proclamation of the gospel, meaning we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim. And how is it that we're making a proclamation about the Lord's death? Uh, well, what we're doing when we partake of the Lord's Supper is we're actually proclaiming that the gospel is true for me, that this is not just a declaration uh, of important facts, but it's a proclamation of that which I personally, you personally, hold to be true. So in proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, and I eat that bread and I drink that cup, I'm actually saying, Lord Jesus, uh, I, by faith, partake of this gift that you have given to your church. Uh, That's allowing me, in an active way, not passive, active, to fully and completely proclaim the truth of the gospel for Eric. And that's one of my favorite things about this sacrament is that it's a, a true picture of the gospel. It, it's kind of sad to think about when I was growing in my faith about all my questions were about baptism, mm-hmm. but I, I really wasn't fascinated with this whole bread and wine. Mm-hmm. But what's happening here is physical signs conveying amazing spiritual realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson talks about we have all these physical signs in modern day, you know, shaking shaking someone's hand or kissing your wife or there's an exit sign. Yeah. And all these physical signs convey emotional realities. Hmm. And that's one thing that is so great about the Lord's Supper is that Jesus knows we're, we're visual creatures. Hmm. And so he's instituting this to say, take this bread, drink this wine, and be reminded and take a picture of the fact that, hey, I love you hmm. and I died for you. And and. Sinclair said it's like God is taking off his wedding ring and saying, look, look, this is my ring, and, and, and this is a testament of how much it's I love you. you. Yeah, and, and I think what, that's so important because historically in the church, the Word of God and the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, or even the sacrament of baptism, but sacraments have always gone together as a, as a driving force to push the gospel into the hearts of God's people. And it shouldn't be described as um, mystical 
um, it should be really seen as a rich, full gift given to us by Christ. Um, and that, I mean, should we be surprised if God made us physical beings that he also condescends to give us physical elements to hold, taste, and touch? Uh, one of the ways I describe it to our people is I say, you know, when we're partaking of this bread, it reminds us that there was actual actual body torn, actual body that, that uh, died. When we're drinking the, actual, the, the cup, we're saying it was actual blood. Jesus is actual blood, and Jesus himself consumed to the dregs the, the, the wrath that was poured out against sin. So in that way, it really is a proclamation of the Lord's death or of the gospel. The third truth about this is that the Lord's Supper is a communion or it's a participation, as we've said from 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. Um, it is a communion with the blood of Christ. It's a communion with the body of Christ. And so uh, while we're all going to be sitting in a church building and we're going to look to the left and look to the right and have brothers and sisters in Christ who are partaking, uh, Jesus says, this is an actual communing with me because I'm the guy that set the table. Right. You know? So we're actually taking a meal that Jesus has set and in that way uh, participating with him. That's great. And so now do you want to go into sort of the main views that we see in Christianity today in regards sure, to the Lord's yeah. Supper? Yeah, I think that would be helpful. The, from those, uh, from the things we've talked about, all of these views spring that we're going to talk about uh, here in just a second. And, and I would say that uh, the ones, uh, the reason that there's often confusion is because uh, one branch of the Christian faith will sit on one phrase primarily. Um, so I'll show you what I mean. Uh, the first view is, is a physical presence, and that is, uh, it's held in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, that, and the doctrine is called transubstantiation. And so the, what that doctrine teaches us is that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, uh, the Catholic Church would say the bread becomes the body of Christ. The wine becomes the blood of Christ. Uh, and, and like dough going into an oven becomes bread, so the bread going into our mouth becomes the physical flesh of Jesus, the actual blood from the veins of Jesus. Um, and so, you know, while, while I can affirm the desire that Jesus would be present, uh, this particular doctrine doesn't even find its roots in the church until the 12th century. Um, our Catholic friends will disagree. They'll say it's been around for a long time, but it's, it really doesn't become official doctrine of the church until the 12th century. Um, and so I, I think the, the challenge here um, is multifaceted. Mm -hmm. uh, you, having come from the Catholic Church, give me your thoughts. Right. But, yeah. Time to talk to the to the Catholic guy on the podcast. <laughs> and we talk about transubstantiation. Yeah, yeah. This was certainly a hurdle that I had to cross, um, and it's a very complex issue. You know, the sacraments are such amazing mysteries, and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of theological implications that come. One thing that really helped me is a deep understanding of the fact that the church has always regarded that Jesus was truly God and truly man. He is one man in, in two natures. Mm -hmm. And so that's what the church is working through. And so 
Um, in the Council of Chalcedon, when they're defending this reality in 451 AD, they say, each nature kept its proper character without loss, just as the form of God does not take away from the form of a servant, so the form of a servant does not detract from the form of God. Essentially, Jesus was consistently human in his human nature and consistently God in his God nature. And so for me, it was it was something that I had to work through that if he is physically present in the Lord's Supper, then why is it when he's eating with the disciples before his death, how can he be physically present in the chair that he's sitting in and physically present in the bread that he's holding in his hands? That is, in my eyes, to deny the humanity of Christ because humans can't be in two places at once. So that was one thing that helped me was looking at the whole view of Scripture and trying to make sure that my views of the sacrament are consistent with what the church has affirmed and what the Bible teaches that Jesus is truly God and truly man. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't just lose everyone when I talked about that no, in the podcast. No, I, think that, I think that's helpful because the the essence of it is uh, what is true on the night in which Jesus is betrayed. What he says to his disciples is true every single time the supper is celebrated from then on. So if Jesus isn't physically broken apart on that night when he says, this is my body given for you, then he isn't physically broken apart any other time through the rest of human history. I think that's a a really relevant point. John is leaning on Jesus, the Bible tells us, and and Jesus' shoulder didn't suddenly become deformed because the bread became his body. Right. and so, I, that, so the truth is, I, I really um, I can affirm that the desire that Jesus would be present, mm-hmm. but it always leaves us with um, a contention between his actual humanity, and we desperately need Jesus to be fully human in order to have a Savior who is right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding in a glorified body an actual flesh where his bleeding wounds still plead uh, for my redemption. Right. I mean, how amazing is it that mm. one day our faith is actually going to turn into sight and we will see our Savior in a glorified body. Yeah. We'll be able to give him a hug and mm-hmm. see him walk and yeah. talk and move. It's remarkable. It's remarkable. You know, Will, along with that, I think Martin Luther uh, is the one who gives us the second view of the Lord's Supper, and that's a, a view called consubstantiation. It's also a physical presence view, but Luther had a tough time, I think, his whole life trying to explain this particular view. So he would he would use the phrase, he would say, uh, Jesus is in and around and under the elements. The, so so uh, Christ is physically present in and around and under, but having been a Catholic uh, monk, he didn't like the concept and couldn't figure out how to get to the concept of Jesus' body being, as, they, as it's described in transubstantiation, actually consumed by people. Um, consubstantiation was, uh, has been short, uh, short-lived and difficult to explain, but it does exist. Some, some Episcopalians and some Lutherans hold that view today. And Luther, didn't he say at the end of his life that he, he didn't really think it was that strong of a view? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he and, and throughout, he, he's writing to Calvin, he's writing to Zwingli in Switzerland, and they're, they're having ongoing discussions about the Lord's Supper. And I think even towards the end of his life, he's, he's not totally sure that he's content with how to say it. Right. Right. So, 
Uh, the other the other view that's really probably prevalent for a lot of people who come from independent or baptistic backgrounds is this this view that's a memorialism view and that is uh, I would just call it it's a real absence like Jesus is not at all present in the Lord's Supper and so what we're doing when we partake of the Lord's Supper is we're just sitting there and trying to remember uh, which leaves a hundred percent of the of the efficacy of this sacrament in my ability to remember, which um, my wife and children would tell you is a pretty dangerous place uh, to leave anything. Nobody wants to leave something to my memory to be the, the weight <laughs> upon which the whole thing is held. Considering together. the fact that we thought we already recorded yeah, this podcast. That's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's exactly right. So, so I don't want to be... Um, I don't want to be sitting on Jesus's phrase, this do in remembrance of me, and believe that's the only thing that's going on there. So certainly Jesus said, this is my body given for you. But that doesn't mean I have to come to the conclusion that it's a physical body. Certainly Jesus also said, this do in remembrance of me. But that likewise doesn't mean that's the only thing that is happening in the Lord's Supper. Um, so I say all that because uh, Reformed Presbyterian churches, uh, our church, takes from John Calvin and many of other many other reformers who recognize that when Jesus says, "This is my body given for you," he's talking about a spiritual reality represented in a physical form. So Calvin would say, when we partake of the Lord's Supper. He, he's, he wants to harvest the language of communion. He wants to harvest the language of participation. But he also wants to harvest the language of, of this is my body. And so Calvin teaches it this way, and I find it super helpful. Uh, he says our hearts, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, are spiritually lifted to heaven, where we, in heavenly places, uh, partake spiritually with the Lord Jesus. So that, I think, here's why I think that's... Uh, consistent with the scriptures. Uh, the breaking of bread is an actual thing that we're doing, right? It symbolizes something bigger than just breaking bread. The Lord's table, that that particular language, tells me that, that it is a table set by Jesus. The Lord's Supper, again, a table set by Jesus. Communion, the idea that we are lifted somewhere to have relationship with Christ in a spiritual way, because it is a central doctrine of the church that Jesus must already have ascended to heaven, and he's got to be, got to be at the right hand of the Father even now. Right. And then that idea that he gave thanks. Uh, we likewise partake of the Lord's Supper, and we give thanks that God has been willing to give us this. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, when we look at this, Will, what, what really matters is I want our people to— come to partake of the Lord's Supper and realize that, that number one, something's not happening that's, that's uh, cannibalistic and weird and, and difficult to explain, and also something's happening wherein Jesus is really there. And the ability to, to appropriate this sacrament to ourselves is not just hinging on our ability to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made, but really that there is something going on there. Right. And I, I guess the last thing I would say is I love its connection to some of the Old Testament biblical language. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, going back to what Sinclair said, you know, Adam and Eve, they heard, uh, look, take, and eat towards the tree. 
And so Jesus heard, look, take and drink the cup of wrath in the garden. Mm -hmm. So now we can look at the Lord's Supper and say, look, take, eat and drink. Mm -hmm. And so it, it stirs up our hearts and affections mm -hmm. yeah, that, for our Lord and Savior. That's exactly right. That So that takes us from a, a first taking in, the, in Adam's hand that leads to death. And now here's a take and eat that's offered through the hand of Jesus, and it leads to life. Amen. Yeah. Well, Pastor Zona, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. This was the first part of our conversation, and we will have a second part on some contemporary issues in the following week. Any last thoughts? No, this is great. Thank you so much. It's just our desire to, to see the Lord's Supper be embraced and appreciated for the richness that it is for the church. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the time, and thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll come back to the next one. Thanks, Will. See you.